When I was only five years old, my dad woke me up early one summer day and told me it was time to get ready for vacation Bible school. And being the young, sleepy child I was, I said, vacation Bible school? Isn't that where you don't go to school on th Sunday? Now, as you could tell from that comment, I was less than excited to wake up early and go to vacation Bible school. Not only was it not a vacation from Bible school, it was every day of the week. Yet, I did enjoy it then, as it was a fun-filled week of playing with learning and learning with my church friends. I have come to really enjoy it as I got older and started helping the teachers at VS. For example, two years ago, I worked in the Science Center with Ms. Sauer, and I enjoyed teaching the kids about super science-y things, like baking soda with vinegar and stabbing a potato with a straw, your average science stuff. But in all seriousness, I loved working in the science room. All the kids were fun, and the experiments were super cool. I liked it so much that, it, I, that I did it again the next year, and I hope I'm doing it again this year. Even if in the beginning I had not wanted to go and would have rather slept in, I gave up that fear and I began to enjoy it, especially when I began to help teach. I believe that this scripture is calling us to give up something that maybe we like, something that is comfortable or we're fine with, but in reality it's holding us back. It's holding us back from trying something new and enjoying something we haven't before. And this change can be something small, too. I know we like to believe that every scripture is calling for some big change in our life, but it's not. It's just God reassuring us that we can give up some things and not to be afraid. Maybe it's as small as trying food you've never had before, listening to a new genre of music, or it's as simple as driving a different way home from church. Martin Luther was famous for saying, even if I knew tomorrow would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. This is important because Martin Luther is saying that we should not only give up parts of ourselves for the promise of getting better, but because it's the righteous thing to do. And an example of this is Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm sorry I'm talking about Martin Luther King Jr. right after talking about Martin Luther. My parents only got me the M encyclopedia. <laughs> Just kidding, my dad assured me that'd be funny. I don't even know who Encyclopedia is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Martin Luther King Jr. actually was born Michael King Jr., son of Reverend Michael King Sr. From the 1930s, the senior king changed their names in honor of German priest Martin Luther, the lead of the 16th century Protestant reform movement, who said that quote. But the civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr., gave up several things in the pursuit of civil rights. I'm more than certain growing up, Dr. King did not long for the harassment and death threats he got as a leader of the civil rights movement, but he knew racism was wrong and he was determined to end it. And he, in a way, he gave up his safety for his children's future because it was important to him. Now, I'm not saying you should risk your safety, but you should not be afraid to leave your comfort zone. We should learn that trying new things and giving up old habits shouldn't be as daunting as we let it. My challenge for you this week is to try something new, and please don't make it huge. Maybe just try a type of food you've never had before, or listen to a new genre of music, or take the scenic route home from church. Thank you. Good morning. This scripture talks about a grain of wheat being only one seed, until it dies and bears much fruit. If you look at all the seeds in one area, 
Some need to die in order to allow others to grow beautiful flowers and produce more seeds for the future. Although a grain of wheat loses its life, the rest of the field gains an abundance of fruit. When people move and lose their former life, they experience loss, just like those who have been through a time of war, gone through divorce, dealt with major medical issues, or any other tragic loss in their life. It is a sense of loss that I do not personally understand. I have never experienced loss through moving away or going to a new school, but as I, as I am approaching my senior year, I am awaiting the loss of my identity. A huge part of my identity is volleyball. I've been playing volleyball for over eight years, and it is a major part of my life. I've put in hours of work in the gym and on the court week after week. I've sacrificed youth retreats, mission trips, sporting events, family outings, and the freedom to make plans five minutes ahead of time. I have never had a problem with these sacrifices because at the time, it was worth it to me. I loved the hard practices where you knew your whole body was going to hurt the next day. I lived for the three-set make-or-break matches. I looked forward to the competitive atmosphere in the gym. I woke up and fell asleep thinking about volleyball. Now, don't get me wrong. I still enjoy those aspects of volleyball today, but the love and excitement isn't quite the same. I was reading a Linton reflection by Jan Richardson earlier this week, and she wrote, it bears discernment, of course, so that we may know when we are being called to hold on fiercely, to refuse to let part of ourselves die, and when to release our hold in order to let new life rise up in us. I do not think I have ever been able to confidently say I have made the right choice until after the fact, when I look back on the decision I made. God is the only one who knows exactly what I need and when I need it. But what happens when I feel like I cannot hear him telling me, now is the time to hold on and fight, or that it is the right time to let go and move on to something else. This big college volleyball decision has been heavy on my mind for the past few months. So when I read this scripture, I immediately was able to connect it to the confliction I was feeling with volleyball. There is a strong theme of death in this passage, but oddly enough, for me, it feels reassuring. I feel that there is a sense of purpose and peace in knowing that when the seed dies, it bears much fruit, and that you can make a difference by losing a part of you or your world, because bigger things will come from that feeling of defeat. In the volleyball world, this is the time in the season where we are traveling and competing in big tournaments. When I say big tournaments, I mean we are in huge convention centers with over 100 courts, the top teams in the nations are there, and there are college coaches everywhere you look. So as you can imagine, escaping this little world of college volleyball is tough. It follows me everywhere I go with a little voice in the back of my head pressuring me one way or the other. I have this pro-con list that I continuously go through in my head, my first thought is that I would love to be a part of a team in college and have those connections before the academic year starts. But I wouldn't have as much time to make connections with people outside of volleyball. Although I would be traveling with my team, I would have a difficult time finding the opportunity and time to study abroad or take on an internship. If I didn't play volleyball, I would be able to join more clubs and organizations on campus, but I would lose the continuous competitive atmosphere that I love so much. But the hardest part of this decision is whether I'm willing to give up my dream of playing college volleyball or not. Through the scripture, I have found an odd but comforting peace in knowing that it's okay to give up on one dream in order to pursue other passions that might be bigger and brighter than the first. To me, the grain of wheat represents just one aspect of my life. I have planted many seeds in this community, and giving them up is a loss that I am not looking forward to or ready for. I am blessed that I have this church family and my faith that will always be part of my life through the thick and thin because I fear that losing the one part of my identity that I have been able to cling to for so long will leave me feeling confused and regretful. 
As I am facing these internal conflicts, I find relief that my teammates and other athletes are going through the same fight. Just like each of you are struggling with different decisions in your life. The battle between my childhood dream and the freedom of my future is one that will not be fought overnight, but one that I'm hoping will leave me at peace when the decision is finally made. Whether I give up volleyball next year or after college, I know that God has a bigger plan for me. There is more to life than volleyball, and I am excited to see what God has in store. But first, I have to be ready to make the decision whether I am willing to give up the seed I planted so early on in my childhood dream or not. What dreams do you have that God may be calling you, let die, so new life can rise up and bear much fruit? May you hear God's comforting words and find peace in whatever decision you make. So, uh, full disclaimer, I did not want to write a sermon this year. That's a reassuring laugh. Uh, I, I went to Sunday Night Summit with the full intention of turning down any offer I was given. Unfortunately, I wasn't the only one with that thought process, and after a little bit of manipulation, here I am. So I looked at the verse I had to write about for Youth Sunday. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. It just remains a single grain. But if it does, it bears much fruit. My sermon writing group made it a little bit easy for me. I had to find the story in which I had suffered and how it improved me to be a better person. Unfortunately, my life has been quite good. My suffering overall has been very minimal, and I have a good house, good parents, and a good church. So I immediately started looking at some stuff my parents have done and my family has done. So the most recent example is my dad went to Lesbos, Greece in order to help the refugees. I was planning on writing a sermon about how, my, how even though my dad suffered a little bit in Lesbos, he improved and became a better person. However, then I started thinking about the refugees and their suffering. And at first, it really didn't seem to go with the verse that was presented to me. So I started to start thinking for Youth Sunday. Weirdly enough, I found my inspiration in a video game. Of course, I have been told to understand my target audience when speaking. But the things video games teach us about humans are quite interesting. There are video games in which your only purpose is to steal from banks. Video games in which Excuse me. Video games. That, oh, sorry, this is slightly terrifying. Uh, <laughs> video games in which you rob and steal and do other horrendous acts. However, people who play these video games can still be good people once they're done with them. Why is this? The main thing is consequences. If there is consequences, people will not act. People will still act if the pros outweigh the cons, but the, con the consequences are always there. Of course, the consequences are not just jail time. There's consequences of seeing what your actions do, how it hurts other people. Now, some of you may be thinking that the refugees aren't responsible for their circumstances. They did nothing wrong. They are suffering because of consequences of people from decades ago. 
Consequences can make people become stronger, but eventually it will stop making them a better person. The, Syri the Syrian refugees aren't suffering because of their own actions. So why do they suffer? The Gospel of John gives us an answer. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it does, it bears much fruit. The refugees are not suffering to improve themselves. They are suffering to improve all of them. We must use the knowledge that these decades of poor decisions and consequences in order to make sure something like this never happens again. If God came in and just magically fixed all our problems, what would we learn? What would we improve? Of course, just because God cannot magically fix the Syrian refugees' problem doesn't mean he's not helping. God calls us to go help in Lesbos, provide materials and food for them. But God, also but God also calls us to learn from them in order to improve our knowledge, to create a better society in which something like this doesn't happen. everyone. To me, what makes this passage from John so meaningful is the way that it captures Jesus's humanity in the allegory of the wheat seed. The image of burial and the growth that comes from it, while illustrating Jesus's death and resurrection, also holds the suffering and the sadness that most people find at some point in their lives. When Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is clear that he too feels the pain that humanity as well as the wheat seed, is unfortunately very familiar with. I see a part of myself in that little wheat seed. A bit more than two years ago, you would have found 12-year-old me living in Virginia. I was finishing up the first semester of seventh grade, which so far had been going great. In fact, my life overall at that time was amazing. My grades were good, I was surrounded by loving friends, I was close with all of my neighbors, and almost everyone in my extended family lived less than an hour from my house. If you had asked me then, I would have told you that things were absolutely perfect the way they were, and I had no interest in any of it changing one bit. In that time, I was the weed seed, happy just the way it was, existing in a small world that had no reason to get any larger. But of course, given that I'm standing in front of you today, my world did get larger, and considerably so. When my parents told me, it felt a little bit like a knife in my back. Someday soon, I would be moving to a brand new state, and my life would have to completely start from scratch. Everything I knew was being pulled out of my hands, and I had no way of stopping it. Within a matter of weeks, my old house had been sold, my things had been packed up, and I was out on the road, whether I was ready to let go or not. The first day at my new school, I felt completely at odds with everything around me. It was unfamiliar, confusing, and by the end of the day, I was exhausted. I kept myself going by desperately reassuring myself that things would get better, that one day I would adjust and Tennessee would start to feel a little bit more like home. All I had to do was try a little bit harder, to grip a little bit more tightly to the control that I needed so badly to have, and things would improve. I was essentially in complete freefall, but I was unreasonably sure that I could find my footing on the non-existent ground. Every day, I missed my life in Virginia a little more. Every time I would try to have a conversation with people from school and attempt to fit in, it would upset me that they weren't more like one of my friends from home. 
Grasping at straws that weren't there turned into white knuckling it through my new world. It was easier to pretend that my life was still in Virginia, but that part of me was already long gone. I was struggling to continue living as the little wheat seed, finding comfort in the simplicity of the life I had left behind. And all the while, I convinced myself that I could make it completely on my own. To an uninformed eye looking in on my life, it probably would have seemed like things were working out okay after the first few weeks. My good grades had never so much as dipped, and my room and my house looked a little bit more lived in than they had when I first moved in. And I even had a group of people to sit and eat lunch with. Unfortunately, that wasn't the whole story. Even through all of the elements of my life that seemed to be going well, it felt like I was dying. I was being swallowed up by a bone-chilling emptiness from the inside out because truthfully, I had completely isolated myself and it was beginning to destroy me. Sure, I had good grades, but group projects were my worst nightmare because it meant I would have to endure the fake smiles I got from classmates who knew nothing about me despite me having been there for months. I walked alone to every class. At lunch, I would eat in silence with the group of my peers that tolerated me enough to allow me to sit with them. I would go entire days at school without talking to anyone, besides answering the occasional question in class. Time started blending together, since every day seemed to be exactly the same as the last one. Even the simplest tasks would completely drain me mentally. I had confined myself to a pit of the hopeless feeling of constant loneliness, and now I was slowly being buried. Each day, fighting to hold on to the past became harder and harder, but still I refused to let go of what I had once had. I finished the school year and was probably the least excited a seventh grader has ever been to begin summer break. One night, as I stared up at my ceiling, unable to sleep, I realized that going on and on like this was pointless. After all, it had been months and I had gotten nowhere. So finally, I let go of the crushing grip I had been holding on my existence. I had been holding on desperately to my life in Virginia, sure that it would save me even as it tore me apart. When I finally released myself, what I didn't see was God picking up my slack. Once I was finally able to let the past stay behind me, I saw things immediately improve. I made friends, people who actually cared about me and could help me grow out of the hole that I had dug myself. I started to be able to see the light in the world again after months spent in cold and darkness. I had been living in Tennessee for a while at that point, but finally I felt like I was home. The church especially helped me find my place. The sense of community here is so incredible in the way that I, I can't even really describe. This congregation has shown me so much love and support in everything that I do, including writing this sermon in the first place. To return to the allegory, my growth as a person through this experience has been immeasurable. I've gained so much confidence and resilience, as well as a relationship with God that has been made all the more powerful by the fact that for a time I was completely reliant on his presence. It was hard to envision this growing while I was buried, but now that I'm here, I see that the pain was a part of the journey. There was always a light at the end of the tunnel, and with God's help, I was able to arrive there. If I'm perfectly honest, I'm happier here than I ever could have been in Virginia. Being a wheat seed was comfortingly simple, but now that I've grown into who I am now, I'm better off than I ever was when things were easy. The road was hard, but I believe it's important not to dwell on the time spent buried in the dirt and to focus more on the beauty of what has come out of it. I can't describe how grateful I am for the amazing life I have now because of this journey. Amen.